Guys, thanks for tuning in to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with the Arizona Ground Pounders Guide Service. That's Cash Armstrong, Steel Armstrong, and Waylon Pettit. Uh, and one thing I have to say is something happened in the connection uh, of this episode and all of the audio when I'm talking is going to be distorted and I apologize. I've tried to send it through filters and, and work with it. It's, um, it is what it is. Uh, the ground pounders come in uh, nice and clear. So, you know, you're just going to have to bear with us on this, but uh, they bring a lot of value in this episode and hopefully you can listen uh, knowing that it, it was just a, must, uh, an accident that happened, didn't realize it till after it was already recorded, and um, it is what it is. So uh, I really appreciate your patience. I want to thank you guys for your loyal support of this podcast. I want to thank the Arizona Ground Pounders uh, for coming on. They have uh, done an unbelievable job over the last handful of years shooting some giant bucks and bulls and um, you guys are going to really get some um, good value out of this episode. I want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast. If you guys would like to send me uh, a message or have a question or comment, please send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. You can send me a direct message there. Uh, and uh, just love hearing from you guys. I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, they're the title sponsor of the podcast, and if you use the J. Scott promo code uh, when signing up for the GoHunt Insider, you're going to get a $50 uh, store credit to the new GoHunt gear shop. Uh, that's hand-picked and field-tested gear. It's free shipping. You've got great technical support there with Trail Kreitzer, uh, and you can use those um, that credit or those in those insider points uh, to get free gear. Uh, just go to GoHunt.com and uh, check it out. Also, thanks to Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, Jason Harrison and his crew, and remind you that the Kuyu Mobile Showroom uh, is uh, touring all over the uh, United States, the Western and Mid-United States. Uh, and uh, go to kuyu.com to check out when that mobile showroom is going to be near you. Uh, one of the great things about that is every piece of gear that Kuyu makes in every size will be uh, on site at the uh, Kuyu mobile showroom. So you'll be able to try everything on, uh, you know, touch it, feel it, f figure out what size is best for you. It's uh, just been overwhelming the response uh, in the cities that it's already uh, passed through. So make sure you check that out. Also, phonescope.com, 10% uh, off if you use the JScott16 promo code. Uh, that Cheston Davis and, and his crew there at the Phonescope, uh, they are able to adapt any optic to any phone, and you can take pictures and video immediately. And then the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson uh, at the Outdoorsman's uh, there in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Cody and his crew uh, have an unbelievable um, supply of tripods and backpacks and other hunting gear, as well as they are the Optics Authority. 
you get a 10% discount if you use the J. Scott promo code. Guys, again, I'm sorry for uh, the distortion that you're going to hear. It was a bad connection or something. It's never happened uh, before. Uh, but I just felt like this episode, there was too much value in this episode to scrap it. Uh, so if you would, just be patient uh, with it. And um, I hope you'll be able to kind of get through the bad audio on my portion and get all the little jewels and nuggets uh, that the ground pounders bring to this. So thanks, guys. Let's get right to it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, I've got a special episode here with the Arizona ground pounders. I've got Cash Armstrong, Steel Armstrong, and Waylon Pettit on the phone. Guys, how you doing? Good. Good. How are you doing, Jay? Great. You know, it's going to be awesome to talk to you guys. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast here for some time, uh, but we've got the Arizona uh, deer uh, and, and sheep and, and uh, fall kind of regulations. Our draw is coming up here uh, Tuesday, uh, June 13th, and I wanted to make sure to get you guys on the podcast and get this episode aired before uh, that deadline. And one of the things that I want to specifically talk with you guys about uh, today is coos deer. And you guys uh, are young guys, and you've got a lot of energy, and you've got a lot of go, and you guys have killed some tremendous bucks, uh, some of the best coos deer bucks, you know, in the last, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years. You guys have been, you know, knocking them down, and, and you guys are young, and you're full of energy, and you're really good at what you do, and um, I know a lot of people have taken notice of the hard work that you've put in and the success that that has come from all of that hard work. And so wanted to pick your brain specifically about units 22 and, and 23, uh, because that's kind of the main stomping grounds that you guys run around in. Before we get to that, uh, you know, we're sitting here in June and uh, elk season is not too far away. I just kind of wanted to get a general sense from you guys of, of conditions. Uh, how, how do you anticipate the uh, 23, uh, you know, elk season with, you know, the archery hunt coming first and then early rifle hunts and then the late hunts? What's your forecast uh, for this year for elk? Yeah, <clears throat> I think... Uh... It's going to be a phenomenal year, a lot of green feed, <clears throat> good antler growth. I think we're going to, some people are going to kill some giants. Cash, um, I believe this is Cash speaking, right? Yes, sir. Cash, um, you know, we're kind of in our dry period right now before our monsoon season. Uh, how would you compare, you know, the winter moisture, the spring moisture, uh, you know, is it, is it just average? Is it above average? Is it below? And, um, you know, have we gotten any showers in that country, you know, say in the last 30 days? And, and you know, green, you, you speak of green feed. I mean, is it starting to sprout everywhere? Or is it, you know, average, but below or above average? I would say, you know, above average. Uh, we had a storm uh, two weeks ago, came through drizzled pretty good and uh it uh i'd say too with that winter precipitation on there like roosevelt lakes like almost at 70 percent full right now a lot of the streams and a lot of the creeks are still swelling right now too 
So there's a lot of extra water and feed um, down in the bottoms of the canyons. So hopefully we can just have a good monsoon season come through. And then if we have that, those bulls can finish off great. Yeah, and Waylon, uh, that's Waylon Pettit there uh, speaking, right? Yes, sir. Uh, guys, how important is it, you know, the, the bulls have been growing? I mean, I, I would suspect that a bunch of the bulls are already, you know, six-point bulls, and, you know, you can really tell what they are. How important is it that the monsoons come on time as far as you, you talk about finishing those bulls out? I mean, have you seen it or do you anticipate if you have an early, say, you know, maybe the last couple days of uh, June and we get, you know, good storms early, um, do you really anticipate like their back ends just, you know, finishing really strong? And have you seen it where years where it's a late monsoon, maybe it doesn't hit till 15th or 20th that maybe the back end's a little bit stunted? No, definitely. I would agree with that. Like last year, there were a lot of bulls that had pretty good front ends because they had some precipitation early on in the year. And then it kind of dried out through that time where they finished off their tops. We also saw last year that there were, there were a few bulls that the horn density wasn't as strong. We had a lot of broken bulls on the early hunts because of just the density because they didn't have the feed that they needed. Yeah, you know, you guys have done not only phenomenal on those early hunts, but you've had great success on those late hunts. What do you attribute your late hunt bull success to? Uh, you know, what are, the, what are the biggest factors that you guys have done well on those late hunts, killing big bulls? Being in the woods, being on our feet, checking spots and making sure we're glassing a lot, you know waiting for the big bulls to show up and get into their winter country. The right weather is everything. When you say the right weather, um, obviously, I, I think you mean, you know, cold, crisp, you know, snow, you know, as much weather as possible and gets those bulls out moving and gets them, you know, out feeding and, and out in the open a little bit more? Yeah, gets them out on the slope and south facing slopes where the feed doesn't freeze as hard. <clears throat> and uh, I think that's how we've killed a couple of the big bulls. The only reason we've killed a couple of the big bulls we have because they live in places normally where it's unhuntable. You guys are houndsmen, and you guys, um, you know, cash and steal. Uh, Waylon, how much uh, chasing lions do you do with these guys, or is it, is it mainly a cash and steal in Levi? It's mainly cash and steel on there. Um, me and Levi would prefer, honestly, to go out and glass while these guys hate lions. But uh, cash and steel um, spend the majority of the time in the spring line hunting, and it's pretty much every day as soon as the deer hunts are over all the way until May. They're line hunting out there. So they're finding new country. They're finding new areas where, where deer live, where elk live, and I think that's where a lot of our success comes from is because they're following lions into where – lions are hunting themselves so we're going to go ahead and find big game where they go yeah cash and steel um specifically you know you guys are literally born and raised up there um in that Payson area and um you know i know your dad since you guys were little boys was hauling you around probably before you could even walk really well and um trying to keep up with him you mentioned going in new areas and such and i think it's important to point out that you know you guys know that country as good as anybody up there. 
but there's all the country's so big specifically you're always learning new little pockets and new little places i was just wondering if you could speak to that and and maybe you know tell me and the listeners how even as well as you know the country how important it is to be continually out there walking and you know dropping off this ridge line into this hole and that hole and how much you learn by doing that and being on the ground on your feet all the time yeah jay that that's everything in my opinion because i mean you read the sign and the sign tells you where the game's at you know you're not wasting all that time because you know you know where you where the deer are already you know yeah i think that that's a great point um still it's uh have you guys gone into particular country chasing lions that you didn't really had never really looked at for deer and maybe you're finding all sorts of 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 lion kills or or you're finding deer sheds and have you found spots specifically by just chasing the dogs and ending up in country that you know you never even thought of or dreamed of being in and all of a sudden you're smack dab right in the middle or have you jumped big coos deer bucks while chasing those dogs and like huh didn't even know that buck was here oh yeah that happens that's how we find a lot of our deer you know and just you find the high densities of deer and then you say oh i'm going to come back in here and put some time into it you know one question i would have um guys is you know you you guys are really successful in, in actually you know killing lions and actually you know you know chasing lions and getting lions killed have you guys seen areas that you guys have specifically killed lions out of that you you watch in future years because you've known you've killed a lion or two out of there? And have you actually seen, you know, hands-on experience? Have you actually seen pockets where you've killed lions out of that you've actually helped the deer numbers? Oh, for sure. That 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 has a really big part, you know. I, I, that's my opinion, but I mean, we've killed multiple bucks out of the same spot. And then we killed, I mean, right here behind the house, we've caught over 30 lions in the last 10 years right here. And the deer population's thriving now. Do you think, um, we always, well, let me back up. It's always been said that a lion kills a deer a week. You guys are out in the field more than anybody that I know um, constantly all year. Would you agree with that assessment? I'm cur- I've been curious to ask this question for guys like yourself that would know the answer. I don't believe that, but I mean, maybe one every two weeks, but there's a lot of javelina in our country, and lions love javelina, skunks. They can eat a jackrabbit, and they can go for a week, you know what I mean? So they don't have to kill a deer a week, you know? Do you guys, um, do you notice, well, let me let me see. Do you notice that the, the lions, do they specifically have a preference over, you know, coos deer or mule deer? Have you ever been able to tell whether, you know, they really like coos deer or they really like mule deer? Or do you think it's a matter of where they live? Or, or I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, it just depends what country you're in there. Right here, there's not a lot of mule deer left. You know, they're starting to come back a little bit. So I would say mainly in mainly in 22, uh, they're going to kill more coos deer. 
in 23 they kill both you know there's 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 a little better mule deer population over there how often do you guys um trail a lion and uh let it go on a percentage basis you know as far as you know five out of ten times you let it go two out of ten times eight out of ten times i'm curious about that well uh we we try to let the, the majority of the females go because i mean that that's what brings the toms back into the country is the females so that's that's kind of the way we do it i mean if we have a client and he and he wants the wants the lion we i mean it's up to him in the end but we try to kill big toms only you know that's always interesting to me you know you guys love deer you love elk but you also love lions and I've done a few podcasts with lion hunters and, you know, they have the same, you guys and, and they, talking about lion hunters, have the same reverence for lions as, say, uh, I would for a bull elk or, or I would for, you know, a trout or something that I enjoy to do. Is it that same type of thing where, like, a lot of people that don't hunt lions are like, yeah, kill them all. We want to kill them all because we want the deer and elk to thrive. But I always hear from you guys, like, you guys love chasing lions enough, you don't want to kill them all, right? Yeah, for sure. And and there's so many good lion hunters out there these days. I think you got to you gotta put that on yourself, you know, because if everybody kills everything, there won't be no lions left, you know? Yeah, I, I think um, one question I would have for you guys is, is there way more lions out in 22 and 23 than, than people think and i'm talking about general like general hunter people that really don't you know necessarily you know they're not out like you are would you say there's more or less lions than people think i think there's more but like a big tom his range can be huge you know so 60 70 mile circle you know but lions, they kind of congregate together too, you know, they, they use a piece of country, you know what I mean? You might, you might go a month without finding any, any, any tracks, you know, and then we go right across into 23 and that's where all the lions are hanging out, you know, in a, in a 10 mile square and they're all leaving it, but they kind of just move around together, you know. Would you guys say there's, would you guys say that there's more lions in 22 or more lions in 23 if you had to guess? I would say probably more lions in 23 because of the reservation line. They don't get hunted as hard over there, and they can come across freely, you know. So, in other words, it gives but them a little bit of a sanctuary? Yeah, for sure, especially for big lions. That's where we catch our giants is coming off that reservation. They get the age, you know. So, in other words, though, they can be sanctuary on the res, but they could end up, you know, they could end up way over on the west side of 23 or over into 22 and go all the way back. So, you know, with that 50 or 60 mile radius, I mean, that's nothing for them to, you know, be, you know, over on the res line on the east side of, of 23 and be way over on Tonto Creek, you know, a week later, right? Oh, yeah. In a couple, in a matter of days, they can do that stuff, you know. That's, that's what you realize. Also, you know, you, you, you figure out how to travel through the country like a lion does, and you realize that all the country just ties into each other, 22 and 23. Yeah, it makes total sense. And 
speaking about you know learning how those lions travel do you guys learn specifically deer travel and deer patterns and 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 how much deer behavior do you learn from following those lions oh i mean it's everything you find you find the pockets that's what we look for you know you know in the higher country there's there's pockets of deer you know and then the further you go south, the more more deer population you get into, but it's still pocketed, you know. That you just got to find those pockets. You bring up a good point there. Um, a lot of people don't realize that that coos deer are a little different than say mule deer. I think because they are pockety, and and you know you've got units like 22 and 23 where you know you've got good densities of deer, but they're not they're not everywhere, and they're in certain places. Um, is there anything in particular, uh, and, and I'd like to get all three of you's opinion, if, if there's anything in particular that you notice that coos deer, you know, happen to congregate around, or if you see a spot, you say, this is going to be a good deer spot. Curious, you know, what characteristics of country do you think makes, you know, for a good pocket? Yeah, this is still... Uh I, I always look for like you know water that's kind of singled out or something you know or, or there's an edge there something that's like a defined point you know and then that's that's a good place to start you know when you say defined point um, do you mean like a, a a ridge line that's got a little bit of open and and got access to thick like just just like a little cubby hole type of, of you know, like a, a, a place where they can come out and get some sun and get some of that feed, but then get back and get some cover? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Just all game likes an edge, you know. That's And bass is the same way. We learned a lot about bat, doing that bass fishing, you know. They what always about, like, they travel the edge, you know. What about uh, Cash and Wayland? Do you guys have anything to add in that? Yeah, this is Leyland here. I think a big thing is, is just feed, too. A lot of the deer will find places where there's feed year-round, so they don't have to travel that much. So the combination of having feed, water, and then protected area where they can go from sun to shade and shade back to sun when, when the winter changes back into summer. Yeah. So they do like to have that home area, and usually a, a good big buck is within one to two miles of where you find it when you do find that buck that that's that's a great that leads to all sorts of questions there um one question i would have for you guys on on some of the biggest bucks you guys have killed i mean the some of the biggest bucks you've killed how big of a range and and let's talk about everything except for the rut let's just talk about you know say say 11 months out of the year what the biggest bucks you've killed how tight or small or big of a range would you say they have? Oh, this is cash, Jay. Uh, I would say a half mile to a mile. And then sometimes we've had a buck just leave for a while, and, you know, you don't know how far he goes. But they always come back. That's what people don't need to realize. You, I always tell everybody, where would you see him? And they, and I'd say that's where you need to be. That's where you need to stay, right there, because they will come back through there. Cash, you talk about a walkabout, and and 
I love coos deer and I, I've, you know, been studying them for a long time and I talk to a lot of people and I, I always hear that word, a walkabout, like they just take off. It, is there any pattern to those deer just taking off and going on a walkabout and then coming back, like time of year? Like, do you see a specific pattern and then all of a sudden in X month, you know, they they take off and then all of a sudden, you know, they show back up two or three weeks later. Is it's have you noticed or any of you guys noticed particular bucks like always in, you know, first ten days of October or, you know, third week in July or whatever, have you noticed a pattern change? Yeah. On the biggest buck we ever killed it was like that, but a lot of it depends on the country you're in too, you know. And I think a lot of those big giants, they, they wander a lot, you know. They, they can go wherever they want as long as it's, they got the right cover, you know. Yeah, talk a little bit more about, um, you know, you, you said it, it depends on the country. Uh, do you mean if it's, thick, if it's thicker country, they're going to wander less? Or if it's more open, they're going to wander more? Just curious to pick in there a little bit. I think it, it, I think it varies mostly off of water, you know. Summertime, they're going to have to, they get out of their their element more because sometimes the water dries up and they'll go a little further. But they, it, that's what's crazy is they know where the water is at all times. There's, there's, in my opinion, there's kind of two types of deer. There's deer that are like spring deer and like tank deer. They're, they, hang, they hang a little tighter. They don't travel as far, but like canyon deer that drink out of creeks and streams. I think they're they have more of a tendency to roam a little more. I think those roamers are, you know, probably enough to make all you guys pull your hair out. Um, it's it's those bucks that have those tight circles. I'm sure that you lick your chops. You know, when you know you've seen a buck, you jump them lion hunting, you glass them up, you get some trail camera picks. Like you just you're waiting for the season to start. And then there's been those particular bucks that are roamers that probably just drive you nuts. I'm sure. Oh yeah, for sure. My dad killed a big three point a few years back and a that was the easiest buck I've ever hunted. I mean, big buck. I mean, he was like clockwork. You you go in there and you found him. That's how, I mean, within about a four hundred yard square, that's where he lived. And it might have changed, but that was in October and that's when they're the most vulnerable when they come out of velvet in my opinion. In velvet and then right when they come out. Let's talk about that a little bit. So regardless of the actual hunting season so no hunting season just just talking about times of year is there a certain 30-day period or two-week period or 60-day period where you think they they have the tightest circle of all meaning you know is there any time that you could say yeah coos deer bucks the month of august stay the most stationary or you know when would that time frame be what I think it is, is it's, it's right the period as soon as they get out of the velvet and they kind of move from the velvet country to where they're going to be for October. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll find a buck as he's actually scraping the velvet off and he'll go to a spot and we'll have that buck that's within a spot within a half mile all the way from October until early November until they get into that pre-rut time. And that's the time where we kill a lot of our biggest bucks because we have them found in the summertime go back in, refine the deer right there in October, just as soon as the elk hunts get over. 
find those bucks and then go back in, surround those deer with our team, and then go back in during the hunt and kill those bucks in October. Okay, so you said something there very interesting. Um, you're saying a lot of your deer have kind of their summer where, where you see them all summer, you get them on trail camera, or you're glassing them up all summer, and you're saying that a lot of them move a little bit. My question would be, you know, how far are they moving half mile or are they moving three miles over? You know, I've always, a lot of the guys I've talked to in southern Arizona, you know, they say where they are in the summer is where they are for that, you know, beginning of that October hunt, that first hunt. They're right there in the same country. And you may be saying that. Um, you may be just saying they're moving over, you know, a quarter or a half mile. I'm curious there. I'm always curious about deer movement, exactly how far from summer country do they move, you know, once they rub their velvet? I mean, we've seen them move as far as five miles, but more more than more times than not, it's a half mile, mile. You know, good, they, get to, they go to that shady slope and just hang out, you know, where the feed's right. And that's, it usually happens, right? They usually rub their velvet where we watch them all summer and then move. And then they go nocturnal too, but they... If you know where they're at, you know, you just sit there and wait them out. That's all great stuff. Uh, very, very good stuff. I'm sorry to um, pick too much there, but all that stuff just intrigues me. I want to talk about uh, Unit 22 and 23 and have you guys uh, kind of compare and contrast the two units Um and maybe talk a little bit, let's talk about deer densities first. Uh, in, in comparison to 22 and 23, uh, you know, which one do you think has the most deer and which one has, you know, lesser deer densities and higher deer densities? I would say uh, like 22 South, Matazel country, it's got the highest deer density in my opinion. Why do and you then, think that is? It, Why? I, I'm not I'm not sure to be honest with you. There there's a lot of feed there, but there's a lot of feed a lot of other places too. So I I can't really be honest with you and tell you that because I don't know. Okay, so the the southern end kind of the Matazel type country of 22's got a high density, um, and uh, compare that say with 23. I mean, 22 north and 20. Three north, I'd say it's about equal, you know. You're going to, don't get me wrong, you're going to find those pockets where you're like, holy cow, there's so many deer in there. But then you might go 10 miles and not see anything, you know. That's what makes it so challenging. I think that's what makes Cooster so intriguing, especially in these central Arizona units, is they're much more pockety than, say, the deer down south, um, you know, in the southern Arizona units where it seems like they're pretty widespread and, and not quite as pockety. Uh, how much does elk, you know, being around, do you think, you know, move coos deer in or out, or do you think it, the elk bother the coos deer at all? Um, it, it does from time to time, sometimes if they're on water, but like, like last year, we had video of two bucks, um, of both bucks that we ended up killing in the October hunt, a 122 buck and 119 buck, and they lived together with bulls that we were chasing on the early elk hunt. I mean, they, they drank from the same tank. They lived on the same flat. Every morning when we would glass the elk, we would see one of those two bucks crossing by the tank where the elk were running. 
So I think a lot of times that the deer during the rut will lay down and not get up during the actual rutting portion because they just can't hear or see what they want to see because there's so much commotion going on in the woods. But I don't think that they leave or get pushed out because of that rut activity. I think they just lay down. Yeah, it makes sense. Stay put and lay down and just lay low. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, and that's, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is, is what a coos deer will do is if they get pressured, they don't have to move. If they can find shade and they've already drank that day, they don't have to go anywhere. And their, their best option, if something's a long ways away, is for them to lay down in cover and be that gray ghost that they are and just wait it out. And I've seen bucks do that where they've waited out hunters, waited out elk, to where they'll just lay down and not move until they feel safe again. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, I want to ask all three of you, uh, if your if your favorite unit is 22 or 23, and see if you all have the same answer, or see if if you have if if any of you differ. Um, anyone hey, of you can this, start. Jay, this is Cash. Um, I like 23 because I know I can find a giant bull, maybe, and a giant buck in the same canyon. You know, that's why we hunt 23. Okay, yeah. Steve. Yeah, I'm right there with Cash. I, I, I like 23 myself because uh, the bulls are bigger over there, so you get to kill two birds with one stone, you know? Yeah. How about you, Wayman? I prefer 23 as well. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, too, because we've actually killed the biggest buck we've ever killed in Unit 22, and we've also killed two additional bucks over 131 in unit 22 but i just prefer 23 um i think it's because it's more of a wilderness type unit you can get away from people more and the country is a little bit more broken up and we don't have um highway 87 going through the middle of the unit where everyone kind of has easy access you kind of have to work to get to places and i I like that in a unit yeah that makes total sense would you guys agree though that if 22 did not have the numbers of elk tags, meaning if if 22's elk quality, I'm going to throw it right back at you guys here. If 22's elk quality was every bit as good as 23, would that change your opinion of whether you like 22 or 23, or would it remain the same? No, definitely. I think it would because I think when it comes to coos deer, they're actually equal units on size of bucks it's just that we spend so much time in preparing for the uh, early 23 archery and rifle hunts and the late rifle hunts for elk that we spend so much time there we just find additional bucks when we go to look in unit 22 we go to look for deer when we go to unit 23 we go to look for deer and elk at the same time and i just i think too with uh getting off tangent but that the tag numbers in unit 22 i think have just taken that unit and it, it used to be a unit to where people would kill 380-inch bulls, sometimes 400-inch bulls on those hunts. And it, the bulls are just not getting the age now because there's 800 tags in a unit that's one-third the size of Unit 23. Like Unit 22 North only one-third the size of Unit 23. So yeah. there's 800 late tags in there. And the bulls aren't getting up in age. They're not getting to 13, 14, 15 years old where they have the giant bases and 65 inches of mass. A lot of people are killing good 330-inch bulls, but they're only six or seven years old. They have potential to be that, but I think the unit's just not managed correctly. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of tags. I think it's more of an opportunity unit, um, you know, for sure. And, and I totally get what you guys are saying. Like, you know, you love 20, you like them both. But, you know, if you had mm-hmm. to pick, because I made, you know, I asked you which one if you had to pick and you pick 23. And it's because one, you spend more time there. Two, you, you have all the memories of chasing giant bulls. And it also has, you know, giant coos deer. So it, it's kind of a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And like uh, I said, we when, when we killed the governor tag buck, the 147 deer, I mean, that was in unit 22. And we've also had great success in 22 with coos deer. And I think that the potential for deer to grow in both units is exactly the same. And I think it's the same way with elk, too. I just don't think they just give the elk enough time or age to be as great as they are in 23. Yeah. Makes total sense. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, hunting pressure, uh, you know, comparing 22 and 23. And, and for this for this conversation, let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, 22 and 23 early hunts. And I'll refer here to uh, the regulations just so the listener knows in uh, unit 22, the first hunt is October 27th through no- November 2nd, and there's 400 tags in 22. And now this year there's a, there's a second hunt, November 10th through the 16th, and there's another 400 tags. And then uh, in 23, the same dates are 300 tags on the first hunt and 275 tags on the second hunt. Obviously, by just looking at the numbers, 22's got way more tags than 23. But on those, specifically on those two early hunts, how does the pressure feel? Does it feel the same, or does it feel definitely? Can you feel those extra numbers in 22? Well, I think since they split the hunts up, because there used to be more tags during the October hunt, I feel like it's decreased the pressure on there because they cut those tags in half in both units. There used to be the high number of tags in both units just during the October hunt. And it's better for guides as well because we also get to have a chance to, to take guys on an October hunt, take a week off, and take guys on a November hunt too. Um, the last year before the hunt was split, in 22 and 23, it seemed like that there were hunters everywhere. There were I think there were 700 tags that year in 22, and it felt like, Everyone had a tag, and everyone brought three or four people. So th- there were 3,000 people in the woods at the same time looking for these same coos deer. With that split, I think that the Game and Fish did a, did a good job on there to where they decreased the number of people in the woods at the same time and also are giving the hunters a better opportunity to, to kill a good buck a by putting those up. Definitely. Well, one, um, one thing I would say in, in just, just playing the devil's advocate a little bit is – I totally hear what you're saying about splitting the hunt. I think it's great for guys like yourself because now you're going to have the opportunity to take, because you guys really know the unit, you're going to have the opportunity to take, you know, guys on the first hunt and guys on the second hunt and have really good success. Playing the devil's advocate a little bit, um, I totally hear your point there. But what about the fact that, you know, if there's 700 tags, guys go for like the first two, three days and then they're done and then, you know, three quarters of them are gone back to the valley and they're not hunting anymore. When they do do these, you know, split seasons where they've got two early hunts now, in essence, you have less people 
but you have a new group coming in the second week that's all fired up, whereas when they had it all together, you know, there's only about 10% of the hunters are really, you know, gung-ho, fired up, and then they end up, you know, hunting for two or three, four days, and then they're done and gone. Doesn't it actually put more pressure on the actual animal themselves by having two groups of gung-ho hunters instead of just one main group and, you know, it may be hot and they have three tough days and they go home? Curious what your thoughts are across the board there, guys. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that. You know, I mean, most guys, they don't hunt the whole hunt, you know, so you're definitely right there. Well, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm right. I, I, I It's just something I think about, and I understand why the Game and Fish does what they do because, you know, people complain that, you know, like, like you said, Waylon, there was 700 people out there hunting, and the the experience was bad. Well, now you split it. You know they've got it. Uh, you know two two groups of 400. Uh, that that's you know a lot less people. But you're going to have two you know groups that are you know gung ho, ready, fired up about their hunt, which will probably ultimately put a little bit more pressure on the deer. I'm curious to see how the numbers work out now. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this second hunt, is this the first year in 22 and 23 that they're offering this this second style hunt? No, this is the uh, this is the second or third year that okay. they've offered that. Okay. We took hunters in um, October, November, October, November. I, I believe this is the third year okay. on there. Yeah, that. And they split up, and, and, and I like it on there just because it's it's giving people to be a chance to be in the woods and there not be as many people at the same time. Okay. And I don't think, personally, this is Waylon, I don't think personally that, that pressure over that amount of time affects the deer as much as people think it, it does. I think that what happens, I've seen a lot of times to where people have missed a buck, and, 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 and us as well, where our hunters have missed a buck, and we found that same buck in the same area the very next day. So... I don't know if it's the same as elk because sometimes, I mean, I know if you push an elk out of a country, an elk will run until they feel safe yeah. and they'll go somewhere new. I really feel that the deer, especially the coos deer, wants to leave, be safe, and then come back to their home. Yeah, so, and that's where they live. That Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've seen it more times than not that, you know, guys shoot at a big buck and then, you know, the next day they're like, yeah, I shot at a big buck and you're and I'm like, where? And they're like, way over. I'm like, well, that's like 10 miles from here. Why are you hunting here? Oh, he's spooked. I mean, I would argue, no, he's not. He'll be back in that country. You know, wait him out. He'll come. You'll find him again. Yeah, for sure. I got a good story about that. The biggest buck, this is Steel, the biggest buck I ever killed. We watched him a long time in about three years. And we had him patterned pretty good, but he was a tough deer to hunt. He, we'd see him about every seven to ten days. And uh, finally, about the sixth day of the October deer hunt, uh, I we found him. Uh, I had a 400-yard shot, missed him, and he ran over the hill. And most guys would have turned around and went home, but I went and got right where he went over and sat on a rock. Sure enough, he jumped up at 80 yards, and I shot him. You know, And that's how I killed the biggest deer I've ever killed. I remember that deer. Wasn't it a big, giant, um, typical three by three? Yes, sir. I remember that deer. That was an awesome deer. Um, 
guys, let's talk about uh, your use of trail cameras and over the years what you have learned from trail cameras. I think trail cameras are a tool that you should use like in your tool belt, but it's not something that we as an outfit depend on. Um, we, a lot of times we'll put them in certain areas, or, or if we see a buck and we want to keep tabs on a buck, we'll set a camera. A lot of times uh, trail cameras are really important for elk, but really the biggest bucks that we find, we find those bucks actually in the field glassing. And it's, a lot of people say, oh, how many cameras do you have? And we have a few cameras, and, and we use them, but it's a majority of the big deer that we found, we found those deer with glass. I mean, I'm trying to go back through right now and think about all the bucks that we've killed over 120. And I don't think any of those bucks, the first time we saw those bucks, was on a trail camera. It was either scouting during the hunt, bear hunting with glass. It was, but we will go back in. If we find a big buck, we will go back in and set a camera where we need to just to see where he's going to try to pattern that buck so we have a chance to kill that buck during a hunt. Yeah, uh, I totally get it. There's been a whole, obviously you guys I'm sure have heard all the nonsense and <laughs> this and that and, you know, just about trail cameras. And um, I, I'm just curious your thoughts. If, if they were to outlaw trail cameras, which I want to go on record saying, I hope they don't ban trail cameras outright. Do I think in some of the units like the Strip and Unit 9 and some of the places where you know, there's 15, 20 cameras on one water hole. Do I think they need to probably do something about that? Yes. But I, I, I think there's so many great things that can come from trail cameras. But, but let's just throw that out. Let's just say that if they did throw out trail cameras, do you think you guys would continue to kill giant bucks like you already do? Yes, with 100% certainty. It's just we use them as a tool, but it's, it, it would it would just take a couple more days to find the deer, or it would take a few more times going to glass or surrounding the area completely with the guys we have to refine the buck instead of setting a camera and kind of figuring out where he was. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, too, it helps to have trail cameras because you can scout while you're not there. It also lets people... People don't see someone going in and out of the country, so people don't get an idea of where a buck is. And also, we can be somewhere else scouting while that trail camera is set, too. So it is like another a hand or helper in the field, but we would continue to kill bucks 100% certainty if they outlawed trail cameras today. Don't you think, too, sometimes, you know, using trail cameras, if, if you guys had a big giant buck and you went in and just flooded the country with cameras, you know, someone could potentially catch on to that, that, Oh, the ground pounder guys are, you know, they're going in and out of here, in and out of here, checking cameras. Like sometimes I think from a strategic play, if you've got a big buck, you kind of maybe don't even go in that country and just leave them be. And, and the, you know, the least you can get in there and be around is probably the better. Would you guys agree or disagree with that? Yeah, for sure. We, we've dealt with that quite a bit in certain, certain countries, you know, and then we have certain countries where we, we can go in and, and we won't see anybody, you know what I mean? But you're definitely right there. Yeah. And, and we do, too. So we see a lot of outfitters who spend their entire time 
an entire day checking cameras and instead of glassing. And we would prefer to not check the cameras the entire day and to glass the entire day because, as you know, Kuzir will move any time, day or night, and we want to be there when they stand up to find that buck and get them on actual video. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about unit 22 specifically here. And would you guys would all of you kind of go through uh, anyone listening to this podcast? Obviously, um, you know, if they, if they want a great guide service, um, they can call you and talk to you about your service. But let's also just talk about areas in general. Speaking about 22 specifically. Uh, you know, maybe starting, you know, from from high to low, talk about some of the different access points, um, talk about, you know, some of the general areas uh, for people that are listening that, you know, want to go and do the hunt on their own, um, you know, kind of break the unit down and, and tell me tell me about Unit 22. Yeah, unit 22 is pretty unique because it the elevation changes so much. I mean, you can go from the edge of the range where you're almost at 7,000 feet to where you're on your way actually down to the valley and you are finding who's there at, at 25, 2,700 feet elevation there. So there's a giant change there. And it also, there's a change because there's wilderness areas inside the unit where you can be completely away from anybody and there's who's there there, or you could be right next to a town and find a, a good who's left there too. Um, the densities, like Steele said earlier, there's a lot more deer in the southern portion of the unit in the lower elevations, low country, prickly pear cactus type elevations. There's more deer there. Um, I honestly think that, and I honestly think that with uh, with that deer density, there are also more hunters go into that deer density. So the more deer there are, the more hunters go there, and that doesn't allow the, the deer to attain the age to where they become a trophy-class buck. Um, we like to hunt a lot of times in the mid-country because in October it's definitely cooler. In the high country, it's a lot cooler. And we see that with more cover with these coos deer, a lot of times the bigger bucks, and because those coos deer are attaining age and people don't like to look into a place all day long and see two or three deer in a day, and that's something that we thrive on. So, in other words, you are not necessarily hunting in the highest density countries. You're hunting in places where you know specific pockets. And you, you're, are you pretty much once the hunt starts, always hunting a particular deer? Yeah, for sure. That's how we like it to be. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. But about, I'd say about 95% of the time, we got the buck picked out. We're gonna kill. And sometimes we kill them and sometimes we don't. But I think that's how you increase your odds, you know. If you know that you're hunting a buck, you know you're going to stay there the whole hunt. And he's going to mess up. You know, you just got to be in the right spot to take advantage of it. Yeah. So in talking about Unit 22, you know, the, the, the times that I've hunted, you know, you can be up there on the rim, you know, Milk Ranch Point and you know, working the edge of the rim, glassing off the top of the rim. You can be up there off the control road. There's lots of access points, you know, where you can glass up into the rim. And then you've got over on the other side, you've got, you know, hard scrabble mesa. You've got, you know, that Twin Peaks trail. You've got that, um, you know, polished mesa. Um, 
Yep. You know, you know, there's there's a bunch of high country stuff up there that a lot of it looks the same. And I think for people that don't really know the country, it's kind of hard to figure out where those deer are. In in speaking specifically about high country bucks in 22, is there is there any one particular advice that you could give to people about trying to find deer? I mean, um, obviously there's water. But from a glassing standpoint, you just try and, you know, find any kind of knobs that you can and just, you know, glass as much as you can? Or, or you know, what, what kind of high country strategy would you tell someone to maybe um, take hunting, hunting specifically high country? And, and I guess for that matter, it, this could roll over into, you know, some of the 23 country that's, you know, along the 260, um, you know, maybe some of the Canyon Creek, maybe, you know, a, a, you know, up off the top of the rim, you know, all that kind of country is, is, is how would someone go about tackling the high country? I think you got to go into an area and you got to hunt. You got to hunt. A lot of people, in my opinion, they glass too much country up in that thick stuff. And then you get overwhelmed because you're looking at too much. You can't really pick it apart. So like, you know, take a smaller piece of country and just and, and pick it apart, you know. And then angles, angles is everything, you know, getting the right angle on a piece of country, the vantage points are everything. And a lot of people, they just sit in glass a lot. And that's what, that's what you do during the hunt. But, you know, if you want to figure out a piece of country, in my opinion, you got to go walk it. And then you read the sign, you find the deer trails. That's the biggest key in my opinion. I think that's, I think that's super good advice. Um, for any type of hunting, but specifically the high country, you know, can be hard to figure out uh, for sure. And and I think getting on the ground and seeing where those deer tracks are, because they're not everywhere, are they? I mean, you you know, once you kind of figure out where the deer, you know, you see deer tracks, you know, they've walked there. I mean, it's it sounds elementary, but it's it's kind of going back to basics. Uh, I think that's, that's a good. I think that's a good point. Um, let's talk about some of that. Let's go back and talk about 22, some of that central country. Um, you know, we talked about that, uh, you know, you know, there's that the doll baby ranch. There's all that Matazel country. Um, you know, I think there's a ton of country in the Matazels there. You know, you can take, what is there, five or six or seven different, like, trailheads that you can actually walk for you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 miles and get way back in some of that country and explore. And, and I think just a lot of people are, one, they're afraid of it, two, they're, you know, overwhelmed. Uh, you know, they're maybe afraid to get in there. But, you know, 22 does offer, you know, quite a bit of access points in that central country, you know, that uh, around that rye on both sides of the highway, um, you know, all the way over to Tonto Creek, you know, the river and, you know, Mount Ord, um, you know, it's covered with deer uh, all the way down to Sunflower. That's, you know, kind of that mid-country. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. That's that's pro all that country you just talked about has got the highest density, in my opinion. Yeah. And there's big bucks there, too, you know. But in our mo our motto is, you know, in the higher country, you got to look at 20 bucks to find a giant. Down there, you're going to have to look at 50 or 75 bucks to find a giant. So, and up here in the high country, I mean, 20 deer, that does, 20 bucks, that don't sound like very many, but when you go out and you see a doe all day, <laughs> it, it, it takes a while to get to 20, you know? 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things about the high country that, you know, shies a lot of people away is you can literally go, you could go days and not see a coos deer, but you sit there on the fifth day let's, and you just sat there and sat there and sat there and you've seen one doe and all of a sudden a giant could walk out. But it takes the right person to sit somewhere for three or four days, even when you know there's a deer there, your mind plays tricks on you and you're like, let's go. This sucks. You know, you don't, but that's what makes, that's what makes the, you know, high risk, high reward type thing. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely the way it is, you know? And I, and I mean, if you got a buck found, that's, you got to keep a positive attitude and guys don't realize what that can do to, you know, just knowing what you're going to get done, you know? Yeah. having confidence in everything a, a good story on that is, is the same way it's with that uh when we, when we hunted the governor tag buck and it was in, in some high country we went and looked over and over again for this buck we had the buck found for two years and we knew he was going to blow up into a giant we we had the buck on video where, when we originally glassed him we went back in and went to look for the buck to actually hunt the deer that buck for a three-day period, there was that buck and one smaller deer were the only deer that we glassed as a group of five people looking for that buck. Oh, man. So, I mean, we, we were there. It was in August. We were glassing for 13, 14 hours of light per day with five guys. We had all of our sets of, of our 15s. We had 12s. We were pounding every single inch of that with the cowas on there. And those were the only two deer that we found for that period was the actual governor buck that went 147 and another buck that hung out with him about 50 to 100 yards away from him every day. And those were the only deer that we found for that period. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. And for the everyday hunter that's just, you know, that's their one hunt of the year, it's really hard for someone, you know, even if a guy, you know, driving down the road, the buck runs across the road, like, He's going to go, oh, I saw a big buck, but very rarely is someone going to be like, I'm going to stay right here in this country till I kill that buck or the season mm-hmm. ends. You know, they, they, they want to see deer. And um, let's, let's mm-hmm. talk about some of that southern country in 22. And I would ask you guys, like, what's the furthest, like, what's the lowest place you've seen coos deer? Like, you know, I've seen them around that Ballantine trailhead. Um, I've seen them down there right up off, um, you guys were helping your uncle a couple of years ago down there on that sheep hunt, you know, some of that country, uh, but you know, almost a Canyon Lake, you know, seen, seen coos. I was curious, you know, where have you seen coos or is there any place that would just surprise somebody? Yeah, we've seen quite a few coos deer down there by Apache Lake hunting lions. And like you said, on the, on the sheep hunt a few years ago. I mean, yeah, that's probably the lowest in 22 that we've seen them. Do you think that Four Peaks, do you think the Four Peaks Wilderness, um, do you think that's overhunted, underhunted, you know, uh, overrated, underrated? That, that, That country all around there just always intrigues me. Yeah, I, I believe that there's giant coos deer there, you know, and, I mean, you just got to go put the time in is what it takes, you know. And, yeah, you're probably going to see more 85, 90-inch bucks, but there are those true giants that live in that country, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. 
let's talk about Unit 23 um, and and go from you know say high to low. You know, high being you know Coles Ranch, you know Christopher Creek along the rim, uh, you know Christopher Mountain, you know Canyon Creek, and then you know taking taking the Young Road access point down towards Young. Um, you know, you've got some pockets there as, as you drop down to Young, you know, you've got Naglin Rim, um, you know, you've, you've got that country all the way down into Young, and then you've got that, the, the middle country. I'm, I'm curious, um, you guys' thoughts on, on that high country there. Yeah, for sure. All that country you talked about is great country, you know, and you know, the higher country is going to be a little tougher, you know. That's just all there is to it. But it can pay off in a big way, or you can go home with the, with the tag, you know. Yeah, and then as you drop down there in 23, you've got, you know, the big drainage. You've got Cherry Creek drainage that goes, you know, heads basically straight south. And, you know, guys can access that Cherry Creek Road off, off every side, you know, down there, Pendleton, Mesa. Um, all the way down, all the way down to Aztec Peak, you know, kind of on the east side of the unit. Um, then they can take the Young Road and basically use the Young Road. And once they get in Young, they can go out west, you know, out towards the Flying W and take all those roads all the way back towards Tonto Creek. And then they can keep going, you know, south out of Young towards Bryant Mountain. And then they can look off the, you know, the Cherry Creek, look off, you know, looking east down into Cherry Creek and, you know, all the way down to, uh, you know, Young and, or excuse me, um, Aztec Peak. And then to the west there, you've got that, you know, Picture Mountain. There's just a ton of country in Unit 23. Would you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. And, and the one thing that we like about 23, too, is that everything you just talked about, you can find a good spot to glass on there. A lot of that country is so rough and so inaccessible by other hunters that you have a great chance to find that pocket and find a good buck in anything you just talked about from the pine trees where you're glassing with pines to all the way down to where you're finding coos bucks by saguaros i mean it's just such a big difference in the country and how it lays out but the coos bucks that we find throughout the unit they're all bucks that have a chance to be giant, no matter if they're in the saguaros or up in the pines, or even at sometimes at the edge of fir trees. Wouldn't you guys agree that the higher density in 23 is going to be down off Roosevelt Lake? And as you come from Young, driving towards Roosevelt, you know, Parker Creek and, you know, you know, on the backside of Armour Mountain, some of that Thompson Mesa country. And um, yeah, you know, I know that country down there gets a lot of pressure but it also has a lot of deer all the way as you wrap around there by Roosevelt Lake. Um, you know, that probably gets the most pressure, but there's probably the most deer there. Would you agree? Definitely. And there's the most coos deer and there's also the most mule deer there too. For some reason, those foothills in between, between the uh, armor and then all the way down to the lake, they have a ton of deer and I'm not sure if the deer are there because of the extra feed or if they, they know that, at some point, if they need to go get water, they can get it because they can actually see the lake. But for some reason, there are a bunch of deer, coos deer and mule deer, in that foothill country there. Um, we've we've had some decent success in those areas. And, and don't get me wrong, there's going to be some good bucks in there. But we lion hunt actually right through there and have caught toms in saguaros right there. So it's like the, 
where those toms are, the deer are going to be, and obviously the population of deer down there, it, it, it's it's pretty thick. For sure, for sure. Um, let's talk about archery versus rifle. Uh, you know, you guys guide a lot of hunters. Um, do you do a lot of archery deer hunters, or or is your main focus uh, rifle coos deer hunters? No, we do we do a lot, we do a few of the archery hunters on there when people want to kill it. Um, it's as everyone knows, it, that's a that's a grind. That's an archery deer hunt, especially spot and stock for a mature coos deer. In in my opinion, is is the hardest hunt that there is in North America. I mean, I've never been on a doll sheep hunt or I've never done anything like that. But I know from the mental grind that it is to try to get within range of a giant deer. In August, it's hot. It's miserable. You're, you're trying to stalk a deer 9,500 degrees. Um, they're, they're so smart and so weary, and, and they just there's so many factors that can help that can help or hurt you in that August hunt. I, I believe that's the hardest thing you can do is spot and stalk a giant buck. And, I mean, and, and by giant, I mean something that's 110, 115 plus with your bow. Um, we've had to possess with guys um, sitting water with blinds, and I think that's probably the easiest way to kill a buck. But, again, that's a mental grind for our hunters a lot of time because they're in a blind. The blind sometimes could be 110 degrees, and they're sweating the entire day. And a coos deer will come in from dark to dark at any time without any reason except for they want to get a drink of water. So people have to be on their game, and it's just a lot of people aren't used to, to how the deer are and how sensitive they are to movement or smell, and I feel like coos deer even have a, it's a weird sense to where they feel like something's not right. They don't need to go there, and I don't know if other animals have that, but I, it just seems like with the coos deer, if, if, if everything's not perfect, they'll back out and take off, and they don't need to come back to that water for a couple of days. So, I mean, I think we can have good success on there with that, if, 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 with the right people, people that can shoot, and a lot of times on these, on these tanks in certain areas, the shot is a long shot. It's a 40 or 50, sometimes 60-yard shot while sitting down from a blind, and that's a tough shot to make as well. Yeah, especially the cooster that's such a small target. Definitely, definitely. Okay. And then um, in December, um, they open it back up in 22 and 23 in December now for the archery, so you can hunt them in the pre-rut in the spot and stock, and then January with the rut hunts too on spot and stock. And we can, if we can do that, and that's a little bit easier of a hunt, but also – the key factor in that is to make sure you can get ahead of a buck that you don't know where he's going because he has his head down with his tongue out chasing a doe. So those can be tough too. We can find, we're definitely going to find the bucks on both those hunts, but it, it's about it's up to the hunter to make sure they can put a good stock on to where they can actually shoot that buck who's trying to chase a doe around a hillside that we can barely walk up. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing how they can run and chase does in that country, and it, you know, it, it, it you know. You're on basically uh, hands and knees when you try and walk up there, and they're running around chasing does. It's crazy. Uh, I, I want to ask. We've had a little, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. We've had a little bit of success too in the past couple of years, um, setting either tree stands or blinds on travel routes during the rut too. So we'll find a scrape line, we'll find some rubs on there, end up setting up a blind or a tree stand on there, and then we've been able to kill a few decent bucks in the past couple of years on those travel routes 
But that too, I mean, you're going to have to sit and wait and it's patience and then, and you're going to have to rely on a doe coming by in that travel route and the buck with his head down trying to figure out where that doe is. So, I mean, that's definitely a chance to kill a good buck. And, and there's a definite reason why the Pope and Young score for minimum qualifications for coos deer is so low because they are the toughest thing to kill with a bow. Yeah, I think it's like 65. 65 yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, it brings up a good point there. I want to ask all three of you your opinion. Uh, speaking, okay, the the three different seasons, you've got the October rifle, you know, the first hunt, you've got the November rifle, and then you've got, you know, the December, let's call it the late hunt, or, you know, some people call it the rut hunt. If you had to choose, let's say I, I could give you a tag every single year, would you choose the October, the November, or the December hunt? I want all three of you to answer that. And, uh, this is and, and why? See, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> uh, I like. I would probably choose the October hunt myself, just because we spend so much time in the woods. We're probably going to have that giant buck that just come out of velvet peg, you know, and that's my best chance of killing him, you know. That's that's why I'd pick October, but it would be a toss up between October and December for me. Okay. Uh, Jay, this is Cash. Um, I'd have to say agree with Steel on the October hunt because <clears throat> when you get them bucks pegged, I mean, you got to wait them out, and you're going to get an opportunity. You just got to capitalize on it. And, most of the time it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but that's where I stand. Okay. Hey, Jay, this is Waylon. Um, I prefer the December hunt. Um, last year, the hunt was 21 days long and I like to refer to it as Kuzmas because it, for me, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We, uh, I love watching those bucks. Yeah. I love watching those bucks rut back and forth. Um, I love it that you have an opportunity to find a big buck on their feet moving. Um, new bucks. The only real con to that late hunt is sometimes you'll have a buck found September, October, November. Then when December comes along, he decides he wants to find a girlfriend and he's gone. Yeah. So that's the only major con as, as a point to all the other pros on that hunt is that you can have a buck pegged and he can be gone, but I mean, you have to go refine him. So, yeah, that, I mean, that you bring up a great point there. It's something I want to touch on. Um, and I, and I hear what Cash and Steel are saying for sure about the October hunts and having bucks pegged. And I hear what you're saying, Waylon, about, you know, it temperature-wise, you know, talking from a human perspective, it's a little bit more pleasant, cooler. And then from a deer-wise, seems like they're on their feet. You're having a little more action. You're seeing more deer. Let's talk about, I want you guys to weigh in on actual rutting uh on that december hunt obviously it runs till to december 31st in your country in 22 and 23 you've obviously got low and you've got high country what do you see as far as rutting activity as far as timing of the seasons or you know when would you say yes you know we see consistent rutting activity. I mean, do you do you see some rutting activity on those December hunts? And I'm curious, like dates. Give me actual, like you know, last three days, last five days. You know, depends on the year. What whatever your answer might be, 
and 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 kind of hear what you have to say about that. In the higher country, Jay, I I would say it's so hit and miss that. I mean, you just got to hunt the whole hunt. I mean, yeah, the last five days of the hunt are probably the best, but to be honest with you, I haven't seen him really get it on in, the, in that hunt in about three years. What, why? Why do you think? I just think they're rut. They're, I think they rut in January, in my opinion, nowadays. Up in the higher country, I mean, I can't really speak for the lower country because I haven't got to spend enough time in December down there. Do, but do you think it's a de- steel? Do you think it's a density issue, like like uh, because the higher higher country does not have as high a density, um, you know that maybe they just don't get stirred up and get cranking. You know, I'm I'm always curious about that. Yeah, that has something to do with it. But I mean, you do, it those rut spots are they're pocketed too. You know where them do where there's multiple does. You know. And I just don't think them does are, I don't think they kick in until January, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. What about you guys? But I, I have them deer still moving, you know, the, the bucks are roaming. So, yeah, you're going to see about twice as many deer, three times as many deer on the December hunt because they are up on their feet. It's cold. They got to get that sun in the morning. You know, they're they're thinking about it for sure, but they're not really... You know, like when you go to Mexico and you watch a deer, he's so sore he can't even walk. I haven't seen a deer like that in the last three years. Yeah, and Steele, don't you think, too, sometimes it's a challenge on that December hunt that you're sitting there glassing and boom, like you were saying, Waylon, a completely new buck shows up, walks across a hillside, just kind of walking, maybe doing a little sniffing, not rutting, but just kind of, you know, roaming. And you see that buck and he's a beautiful, nice big buck and you never see the buck again because he's just on a walk. Yeah, definitely. And that's tough too because a lot of times when, when we scout and we're looking for our bucks, we'll scout, we'll get video of those bucks, we'll bring the video back, put it on the big screen TV, we'll talk about that buck, what do you think he goes, how big is this deer, what's the mass on this deer? And sometimes on that December hunt, you find a buck and you have to make a decision two to three minutes on whether this buck's a shooter or not. And that's a lot of pressure to put on, especially because some people are waiting seven, eight, nine years for that hunt. Or as opposed to on the October hunt, we usually have the buck, have the video, know about what he's going to go and know that this buck right here is a hundred percent shooter. And as soon as we see this deer, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that this deer, it dies. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's another con too, is it, it, it's awesome because, I mean, a, a giant buck might walk in and you might kill a giant. And I know a guy that that's happened to where they've killed bucks 130 plus that they've never seen before in their lives. But, and, and we've done the same, but also it's, it's a lot less pressure when you know the buck that you're shooting at is the exact buck that you want to kill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like Cash and Steel talking about, you know, having a target buck and having that October hunt and that's the buck and, you know, you're just basically waiting to either A, re-spot him again or B, you know, waiting for him to get up out of his bed to shoot him. That's always a reassuring mm-hmm. deal that you've, you know, you've analyzed him. You know he's a shooter. It's not going to be a spur-of-the-moment deal. Like, that's the buck you're after. I think that's one of the huge benefits for October. Uh, guys... Uh, Cash, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, rut dates and what you've witnessed and seen uh, as far as, uh, you know, consistent rutting uh, out there. 
Yeah. Um, the last, I prefer to hunt the last five days with the client, you know, and a lot of times once we're done with our, uh, late whitetail hunters, we'll be lion hunting. And that's when, to be honest, I've seen some of the biggest bucks I've ever seen rut a doe across the road and, uh, you know, never see him again. You know, that's when I feel January, you know, is, is the best time for him to rut, in my opinion. That brings up a, you bring up a great point there. How important is it, you know, in trying to educate people that are listening, that are, that are into coos deer, how important is it, in your opinion, to spend time in the rut, so in January, whether you're bow hunting or not, trying to find big bucks? Um, like, do you think that's a huge thing that people miss out on is that they don't get out and find those bucks that are rutting? Even though we've already talked about that deer move a lot and that deer might not even be there, how important, though, is it to you guys to go out and spend a bunch of time when they're really running around to find a giant and then maybe try and retrace the steps back to, to figure out where that buck lives the rest of the year. Yeah, for sure. You're going to be way further ahead the more time you spend in the, in the country, you know. And then when you do find that giant, you know he's going to be within, you know, most coos deer, he's going to be within a mile of that. So it, it narrows things down for you big time, you know. For sure. Let's talk about some of those um, successful coos hunts that you guys have had, you know, personally and hunts that you've guided for. I mean, you guys have, I, I was going through your Instagram uh, page and I encourage uh, anybody listening to go to AZ Ground Pounders on Instagram and just look at the giant bucks that these guys have killed themselves and killed for clients. Um, talk about some of those successes and and um, some you know particular bucks that you remember and and you know just it's story time. Let's hear some of it. Yeah, definitely. We um we've been involved in, in a few governor tag hunters and and, the, and those were awesome. Um, we killed the 147 buck, and that buck at the time was the largest governor tag buck ever killed. The next year, um, a couple bucks were bigger killed that were bigger than that. Um, we one of my favorite bucks, and I think it's one of all our favorite bucks, and that's Cash and Steel's dad, uh, Jimbo. His buck, he ended up killing a, a one thirty six typical three buck, which is just an awesome specimen of a typical deer. And that was a neat deal because Steel and 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 myself, we we were looking and and we found we found a big buck, and we had some other people there with us. And then Levi went in with his dad, and they killed that buck as a father son combo, and that was just a, a neat deal. And, and and also um, there, Dana, which is Cash and Steel's mom, Jimbo's wife, she was there on that hunt too, and that was neat. And she killed a buck that it was about 106, 107 inches on that hunt too. So in a two-day period, um, Levi helped his mom and dad kill two bucks, both over 107. But that that 136 buck is just awesome. It has huge mass, almost 40 inches of mass, just giant beams, giant everything. It's it's one of my favorite coos bucks I've ever seen. I think um, I think I'm looking at a picture of it now. It's 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 a giant yeah. three by three with eye guards that tip in towards each other. It's got huge bases yeah. and just big bladed gnarly. I'd love to see that buck in person. That thing looks like a monster. Yeah, definitely. I'm, we're sitting here holding it in our hands right now while we're talking about it. But, uh, <laughs> we uh, 
it was just funny. Me and Steele that day, we, we got into an argument. We we saw the bus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You and Steele got into an argument? Yeah, we, we did the day we found it. Is this um, cash? So, no, this is Wayland. This oh, is Wayland. I was going to say, I, I thought it was cash saying that Steele and Cash got in an argument, which they're brothers, and I, I would assume that arguments happen all the time. <laughs> all the time, all the time. But we, were, uh, we found the bucket, and we got some video, and the buck was probably about 2,000 yards away. And so I got the scope out real quick, and uh, I got my scope out and, and, and put it on it, and I'm like, that's, that's a really big buck there. That's a giant. And then Buck kind of went into some shade and still got his scope on it, and he saw it. He's like, oh, that's, that's a pretty good buck. And I said, you know, I'm going to go out here, I'm going to walk to this point, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refine that buck, and I'm going to get closer and get some better video. I think he's a giant. So I walk out on the point, and then uh, Jimbo was up with us too, their dad, and we walk out, and, and Jimbo refines the buck, and I get some video of this deer, and I'm, and I'm looking at the deer, and I, I just can't believe it. It was the biggest three-point I've ever seen in my life. So to us, Steel has a buck that's a 120-inch deer that's a three-point that was a giant. So we're like, that's, that's, that's the biggest three-point we're going to see. So I, I, I radio back to Steel, and I said, Steel, you got to come out here and look at this deer. I think this deer is going to be 135-plus. And so we, we added some numbers up over the thing, and, it, and it, we still thought that we were adding the numbers wrong because we kept coming up with 135-plus on our estimate, and we said, that's not possible. So we talked about this deer for two or three weeks, and I showed Levi the video because he was with an elk hunter at the time. I showed Levi the video, and he told me one word, that's a giant. <laughs> so... <laughs> so don't you think, though, guys, d- don't you think mass, though, I mean... It, We've talked about it on this podcast before. Mass hides length, and and I'm looking at oh, this buck, and it's got so much mass that you it it it's deceiving because it hides it, the length of points, and it you know it mass hides it length is. always. And in proportion, this buck, if this buck had normal mass of say 28 inches, and if you took those proportions and shrunk everything down, the buck would be 115, 118 proportionally. But then you realize the buck has almost 40 inches of mass, has 6-inch eye guards, 15 inches wide with 20-plus-inch beams, and you realize it's just a giant typical, yeah. like, like one we've never seen. The frame on this deer is unreal. The head's so heavy. The, the eye guards are bladed, and they're just huge. They're 6 inches at least, and they just, it's, they're, they're bigger around. The eye guards are bigger around than your thumb if you hold both your thumbs together at the base. And that's what's crazy about this deer is it was just a, a pure specimen. And for us, I thought it was neat. We were with hunters at the time, with, with clients at the time, and, and that's why Levi was with his mom and dad. But it was just so neat that that was the buck that, that Jimbo got to kill because, I mean, he, he his whole life has been a lion hunter. He's always, for us, he's always been a, a positive attitude, a guy, that, a guy that was taking all of us to the woods. And he's not even my dad, but he's always taken us to the woods always been a part of what we were doing as a guide service but it was just really neat story to where he ended up killing one of the biggest typicals of all time the biggest typical three points of all time i remember seeing the picture come across instagram and it immediately made a smile on my face because i know how instrumental uh uh jimbo has been uh and and i you know everybody calls him jimbo um so i mm-hmm. say that i say that with utmost respect 
it, oh yeah definitely. You know, it, it's one of those things that it it's so important that you know he got rewarded with a giant buck and i'm sure all of you guys would rather see him shoot the buck than you guys shoot the buck um just because of of his instrumental part of you know being a part of everything that you guys do and that that's awesome uh what other bucks um jump out at you as just um you know I, i'm Waylon, you uh, i think you shot this buck with the super long eye guards um, yeah it has an eye guard it's almost, almost 10 inches long it's a nine and three quarter inch eye guard and that was a neat deal i i decided that I was going to have an, a late hunt. So I waited eight years to get a late hunt. I didn't draw a tag. And I finally drew the tag on there. And then uh, Levi, I was, I was actually at work there, and Levi called me and said, hey, I think we might have found a buck for you. So I, I came over, and uh, Levi was with Steele on there. And uh, we came over to the house, and I looked at the video, and I said, that buck is unreal. Like the, the eye guard, we couldn't figure out where the eye guard was. We thought the buck was a four-by-three on that side and we're like where is the eye guard and then we went back and got some closer video and realized that that point was the eye guard that it had a nine and three quarter inch eye guard and that was a neat deal um me and levi uh, we sat on a point for about four days it snowed fogged in we were sitting on a rocky ice point um i missed the buck one day um couldn't believe it like uh it was probably one of the worst days of my life hunting wise did you, catch, uh, Levi any, did you me, catch any flack from the gang? I walked the two miles walk back to the ranger in about eight minutes. It was more of a run by myself. <laughs> Levi, uh, Levi told me I should just go ahead and throw that rifle off the mountain. <laughs> I'm surprised so, uh, he didn't leave you out there. <laughs> he, I, that's why I got back to the ranger so fast because I thought if I didn't get back, I was probably going to be staying the night by myself. <laughs> So uh, a couple of days later, we refound the buck, and, and I made an awesome shot. And it was pretty neat. Everyone went over there together. We had all, all the guys together. Jimbo was there. A neat deal. And that buck ended up going 125 on there. And that was neat. Um, another one of my favorite bucks is we were all guiding over in 23, and Jimbo and his brother, um, Uncle Bill, we all call him, they, uh, they had a buck that they had found. Levi had found a buck in an area and said, hey, you guys need to go in here and check this deer out. And they had got burritos that morning from a local Mexican food restaurant. And they were sitting there eating their burritos glassing when this buck stands up on an October hunt. And those guys, Jimbo and Uncle Bill, sat there and finished their burritos before they went down the, the mountain to kill this deer. And that buck ended up going 133 typical on an October 22 hunt. That's a that's a 4 by 4 I'm looking at the picture now. Um, yeah. Just... He, he's just an yeah. awesome buck. He's got really long uh, G3s. Uh, Incredible G3s. Yeah, mm -hmm. and good beams. Just a beautiful 4x4. Four four. So it's it's like the old joke, you know, you hear between the, the, the old bull and the young bull. You know, he's like, you know, you, we've all heard the joke, but I can see them sitting up there on the rock, and they're like, well, it's about time to go down there and kill that buck. For sure. And, uh, and yeah. another neat story was uh, – Steele's father-in-law, we we, uh, we had to put in for, for Coos deer, and he had never killed a whitetail before. And uh, he, he drew the late tag, and that was two years ago on there. And we had found a giant buck, and it was, I mean, it, it, with a client before, couldn't kill it. Um, the client actually couldn't come back into the state. He was too busy with work, and then we even had video and showed him. The guy was sick that he couldn't come back. So we decided to go ahead and kill that buck with, Steel's father-in-law, and it was one of the tougher bucks we ever killed. Cold, miserable, 
nasty. It was windy the entire time. And then 13 days, we hunted this buck with Steele's father-in-law. Um, finally had an opportunity, and he made a great shot and killed the buck. And that buck, yeah, we'd see the buck about every two days on there, and it, it was just the buck would disappear before we could get to it, and the shots were long. And But, but we figured it out and killed that buck, and that buck went over 130, and it's just an awesome buck. There, That's on the Instagram page there as well. It's a non-typical buck. He has um, on both sides, he has like pitchfork beams at the end, super long G2s. But the funniest thing about whole buck is he's he's over one thirty and the buck's twelve inches wide. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Mm -hmm. That is crazy, guys. Uh, it's been awesome having you on the podcast here. I kind of want to end and conclude with how do you guys believe your scouting equates to your success? I mean, you guys have had unbelievable success killing giant deer. How much of it is your scouting? on and this is steel in my opinion that's everything you know i mean i mean i believe that everybody uh creates their own luck you know what i mean and the time in the woods is just creating your own luck in my opinion yeah i mean it's it's um obvious you guys love what you do and and um you know, poor Levi, he, he wasn't there for the podcast. We haven't picked on him at all. Uh, he, he, he got a, a, a free draw on this one. We, we had a chance to gang <laughs> yeah. up on him, and he wasn't, he wasn't even there to defend himself. Definitely. He's the big buck finder, though. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will. He's, found, he's found more of the big uh, – the majority of the big bucks we've killed, he's been the one to find them. He's just got a knack for sitting there and – it doesn't matter how hot it is, what the situation is, he stays in his glass all day long. That's awesome. Well, you guys um, all do a phenomenal job. Um, I want to give you guys a chance to let the listeners know um, how they can reach you, um, where they can find out more information about you guys. And I uh, just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, just look forward to seeing your success this coming year on the Elk elk hunts and um, on the deer hunts and I encourage anyone listening uh, if they're if they're interested uh, in having a great hardcore group of guys um, guiding them uh, these guys do a phenomenal job uh, guys why don't you tell me uh, the different places where people can get a hold of you or can follow more of your uh, of more of your hunts yeah definitely um we're on Instagram and Facebook quite a bit. So Instagram is at azgroundpounders.com. Uh, Facebook is Arizona Ground Pounders Guide Service. You can give us an email at azgp at live.com. Um, I'm usually available. Um, I'm at 928-517-1337. When cash or steel are not in the field, you can um, give cash a call, 978-1343, um, and that's area code 928 I also wanted to let our customers know to uh, follow Cash at AZGP underscore Cash on Instagram, too, because he puts out some of his other stuff on the Instagram, too. I um, want to let everyone know, too, that we're uh, we, we, a lot of our success last year has been due to long-range shooting. And with the long-range shooting, we partnered recently with a company called uh, Best of the West Rifles. And um, we used them last year, and we were five for five with our clients with their rifles, and they've been great. So we signed on to become a pro dealer with them. Um, so if anyone needs a long-range rifle, Husqvarna optics, anything like that, give us a call, too, and we can offer some 
some pretty good pro deal pricing on there. Um, we just love their rifles, and, and they've been awesome for us. We have a 28 nozzle right now with an, an effective range that's 1,500 yards plus, which is unreal, and the gun weighs nine pounds, and we're just in love with it. So we've, uh, we've ordered about three or four more rifles, and then our every hunter that's used these rifles has gone on now and went to buy one of their own. So a lot of our success, and then I just like that too because a lot of our success is on long-range shooting, Last year, it, it was it was our equipment, and and that helps us be successful in the field, and it would help other people as well. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, uh, guys, uh, thanks again for coming on and sharing your knowledge here on the podcast. Like I said, I'm um, anxious to see uh, your success. I know you guys are going to do fantastic across the board this fall. And uh, as always, I wish you the best. And uh, sorry we missed Levi. Sorry he couldn't be on with us. So we'll have to have him on another time. Uh, but uh, yeah um, keep doing what you're doing keep knocking down giants and uh, we'll see you down the road okay yeah definitely thank you we appreciate the opportunity and uh, please give us a call anytime and we'll 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 want to talk about hunting that's for sure that sounds good okay take care guys thank Thank you you guys bye